today I believe he's our portion our healer I think one of the, the the greatest scriptures in the Bible one that's moved my heart so many times says he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity the chastisement of our peace or in other words the weapons we should have took was laid on him and by his stripes we are delivered. I thank God for that deliverance this morning. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Looking out, just seeing different ones that's been away for a little bit. We just welcome you home. The Lowry is there. See Brother Kirkman again this morning. Brother L and his family. And the McGowans and those with him. God bless you. Amen. And all of you. Amen. Isn't God good to us? He's been so good to us. I want you to play the song, um, I Am Redeemed, Been Bought With The Price. We're just going to worship the Lord a moment as we sing this together. Amen. I'm just um, thankful to the Lord for his goodness to us, for redeeming us. Last night we had a, 
um, little celebration with Sister Lana. You know, the Lord's brought her through another year, and uh, we didn't, she made a milestone, should I tell this? Uh, she made a milestone last year and, and turned 40. And then, of course, you know, the cancer had struck her down, and, and uh, she, didn't, she didn't feel like celebrating 40, much less another birthday. So we uh, had a little time to celebrate that yesterday, and I, I just thought of the grace of God. And I just thought of so many that the Lord has touched, and amen, and, and healed and delivered. And what a miracle you each one are. I, I marveled um, the other day at uh, Sister Moselle's funeral and, and spending time with Brother Kenneth and his family, seeing him look so well after after I looked upon the face of a dead man in the hospital, a dying man where they were calling the family in and just see God in his mercy, just turn things around and bring, him, bring a healing. I never forget that Sunday I was preaching on adoption and adopted sons and speaking the word. Me and the ministers from the church here went into his room and I, I just said after we after we um, spoke with him about, I said, now you just say, you say what you desire in your heart. And our meetings was about to start, and he said, I desire that I, I'm going to be in the service on Wednesday night. Well, he wasn't just there Wednesday, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Amen. God's been with him ever since. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we're worshiping under the blood because it's only under the blood where that those miracles take place. Amen. It's only by approaching him through the shed blood. You say, well, Brother Tim, other, other people have got miracles. Still, it, it has to be done through the appropriation of faith in Christ Jesus and his shed blood. Well, I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Jesus has changed my whole life. If anybody asks you just who Aren't you glad for redemption? Amen. Aren't you glad God's been so good to you? Amen. See this thank you family in church with us today. And we welcome them too. Been away for a little while. And you know, I, I just think of the grace of God that reached out to him, laying in the hospital room. And he was dying. But God reached in mercy, 
came by his way. I believe that God will meet you right here in this service this morning. I believe that he'll minister to your need, whatever it is, and bring healing to your body and deliverance. What are uh, salvation in your soul or for your loved one or whoever it is? God's God. Amen. I tell you, you know, I, I would just be expecting the Lord to do great things. Amen. Amen. Little buddy, Lord can heal your Sadie. Amen. Just as you're sitting there in your seat, you pull on God and ask God and God to come down. He's a God who cares. He cares for you. Amen. I am redeemed, been bought with a price. Jesus can change my whole life. If anybody asks you just who I am, tell them. That I am Lord Jesus, we bow before your throne of grace today to express our love to you. Just to say, Lord, you've been so wonderful. Lord, when we look out and see this place is full of miracles today. Miracles of healing, miracles of salvation, miracles of extreme grace that reached down, Lord, further down than what we could look up. We're asking, Father, that you today would just minister to hearts and lives and bring healing and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. As the word will go forth, and even as it goes forth and, and, and through the, the, the waves across the world today, may, Lord, your Holy Spirit draw nigh into every place to ever life and quicken the word of life to them. I pray today, today would be such an anointed day, so anointed by your presence and by your spirit and you working those works of grace in lives and hearts. I ask that you bring healing and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus and ever need supply, we pray in Jesus' name. As we open up the word today, may you open up our hearts, Lord, to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. If you'll turn with me to Leviticus 25, we're going to read from the 23rd verse. I'm sure you're going to be looking forward to the events of the day. We have a, a fellowship meal between the services and then somewhere about 4 p.m., and we always kind of make that flexible, you know, depending on the events of the day. But it, normally it's about 4 p.m. that we'll have our second service. And then we will conclude that with um, communion. This evening, Brother Aaron will be speaking to us. And so I believe the Lord will use him for God's glory. Amen. So we have things to look forward to today. And uh, as we look into the Word... We just want to focus now upon that. The events of the rest of the day will follow in its time. But right now, let's make the best of this moment. Amen. I want to, you to give me your undivided attention and focus on the Word of God as we approach some very vital things today. And 
things that I have upon my heart to minister to you. Leviticus 25, verse 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for you were strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. If uh, thy brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. Now, let's go down to the 47th verse. We could read all of this, but um, just to save some time. And if a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor, and sell himself to the stranger or sojourner by thee, or to the stock of this stranger's family, after that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is not kin unto him of his family may redeem him, or if he be able, he may redeem himself. Then let's go down to Revelation chapter 5, and we'll read from the book of Revelation the fifth verse of the fifth chapter. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing. Amen. Do you believe his word this morning? Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. God bless you. can be seated. Today we're going to be speaking on the kinsman redeemer. And of course, you know, Israel is returned back to its promised land for the purpose of redemption. And even so, if we are the people of the book, are the people of the promised land, and we also have returned back to, um, back to our land for the purpose of full redemption. And I believe that we can look forward to that this morning as we anticipate the redemption of our bodies. Amen. 
Now, Brother Branham would tell us in Gabriel's instruction to Daniel, he said that the 8th through the 14th verse of the 5th chapter reveals the time of, for the Lamb to be worshipped both in heaven and in earth. The seventh sealed book, the worthy Lamb, the kinsman redeemer. And from the 8th verse through the 14th, angels worship him, elders worship him, living creatures worship him. And John worshiped him so much till he said, every creature in heaven, the earth, underneath the earth, heard me saying, blessings, glory, power, wisdom might be to the Lamb, the worship time for the King Lamb. Now the church has gone, remember? So he, he has made the point, and he does it often, and even down to the seals and after the seals, that the, at the end of the seven church ages, the bride is raptured, physically translated up into the heavens. And so, you know, then, then we see the different scenes of redemption. And the book of Revelation shows us chapter 4 and 5, the one on the throne and the one who came through, um, uh, the one who left the throne to become a lamb to bring re redemption and to redeem the book of title that Adam lost. And so it, it shows the whole scene, what God did in, in the whole, um, uh, the whole uh, era of time. Now, so you see, the whole thing has to do with redemption and his work as a kinsman where God became kinfolk to us. Amen. I, I'm glad that we can approach our God as somebody that's kin to us. Amen. And of course, that kin, folks, comes by his redemption. Did you notice we are redeemed by blood? Because he said, by thy blood thou hast redeemed us to God, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So we are purchased by blood. It's the blood of the lamb, or could we say the blood of God? And what a wonderful but, but awe-striking words that we're hearing there. What, what is it that blood could buy, but all the money of the world could not buy? When we think of all the gold, the silver, the precious metals, the stones of the world, it is not enough to redeem not one man. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 says, For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things. So corruptible things cannot redeem you. It cannot buy you back out of, out of sin, slavery, and bondage. As silver and gold from your uh, vain conversation received by the tradition of, from your fathers. But he says you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So these are the words of, of, of God of how that he redeemed us. He, he said, I didn't do it with silver and gold and precious stones, but I did it with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or without spot. Now, redemption, of course, has to begin with a loss. You don't redeem something that, that hadn't been lost. That's why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You had to belong to him in the beginning before the world began. 
be a part of his plan and in the mind of God in order to be lost from God. He did not lose something that was not his, but he lost something that was his possession. It was lost from him. Now, looking at the Old Testament laws on the near kinsman paying um, the unfortunate kin that had fallen so far into poverty that he had been sold as a slave, and all his property, of course, you would think would be sold before he would sell himself. And uh, so he had lost it all. But in Israel, God's law provided that the land could not be sold forever. And I just want you to know that even your bondage into sin, God has a time limit for it. Amen. That it cannot be forever. The earth itself that is squandered around under the under the lordship of Satan, where Satan is the squatter and, and, and the slave owner of the earth and, and its peoples, that it cannot last that way forever. Amen. God does not intend it to go forever away from those that he gave it to. Amen. But, but notice in Israel, God's law provided that the land could not be sold forever, but he provided that the land that was lost could be redeemed. And the Lord promised that his people obeyed the commands of his covenant that they could retain the land and never begin, uh, never again become um, a captive or slave to another nation as they had been down in Egypt. But the, the land itself was to be a, a daily reminder of the freedom and the blessings that God had bestowed on them. And so, you know, again, he, the continual allotting of the land that would be passed down um, from father to son established, um, the law would establish regulations to ensure that no family would permanently lose its land. So, you know, when you get to thinking of all this, the, the loss was never intended to be forever. Amen. It would be lost until a redeemer could come. And then the redeemer would have a right to purchase. Now, this right to purchase was given to a kinsman redeemer. And this kinsman was called in the Hebrew uh, a gall. And uh, that means to redeem, to act as a kinsman redeemer, to avenge, revenge, uh, to ransom, to do the part of a kinsman, to act as a kinsman, to do the part of a near kins, um, to, to even marry the brother's widow, to beget a child for him, to redeem, or, or to redeem from slavery, or to redeem the land, or to exact vengeance. So there was many roles that a kinsman redeemer would do. Amen. He, he would, he, in other words, he could buy back the land that was lost. He could pay and redeem the, uh, his next of kin from slavery. Or he was to marry a brother's widow and, and beget a child for him so that that child would then inherit that portion of land and, and it could be passed on in his memory. And, and then again, it was um, something else that was to be done. A kinsman was also to exact vengeance. 
if somebody else injured you or even killed you, then the kinsman redeemer would act as a kinsman avenger. And this was all of his part of his redeeming work, his responsibility as as a redeemer. So now in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we find now why that what happened to us now, where and how this is applicable to us, and what one man's sin did. And of course, this was our father Adam. And because of his sin, we're all sold into slavery and into the bondage of sin. So he said, wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and dead by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So everybody now is not just a man, but all of his children, all of his offspring are sold in the bondage and the slavery to sin. And guess who is their master? He's a wicked and hard master. And man, it's Satan who is the master. And, and there he, because of sin, we got sold in the slavery and under the wicked taskmaster of Satan. Now, and of course, again, um, not only would in our loss would we lose our, would Adam lose his soul, but also he would lose all the souls of his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren right down today. But not only that, but he would also lose the land that Adam possessed, the whole earth would fall unto him. But remember this, it is only for a time. Because the land can never be sold permanently. Amen. The land can never be sold and, and not be able to be redeemed. It's only, it's only until a redeemer could come. Amen. Now, so again in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21, for by, since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And uh, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. So now you can see a very important thing that, that this Redeemer would undo everything that the devil did to us. Now Romans 7 uh, verse 14, he would tell, I am carnal or fleshly and sold under sin. So he, he showed that our carnal man, even today, we're our carnal man, our flesh has, has is, is, um, sold, been sold under sin. And even though there's redemption of the soul, that we still are lacking the redemption of our body. Because the redemption of the soul was only a down payment on what is coming after that. When the full payment is made. And the full payment comes when the last name that is on the book has been revealed on earth and has discovered his name in the Lamb's book of life and has been redeemed by the Lamb. And when that takes place, amen, then there is a resurrection of all the dead and there is a rapture of the saints. What a day that we're looking forward to. And to realize today, you and I are on the cusp or the edge of that. 
we're right here in the finishing up of redemption. Where other ages were in the initiation of the redemption, we're here at the finish. Now, Jesus would say these words um, in John 8, 34. He said, whosoever committed sin, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So sinners are a servant of sin, therefore a servant of the devil. Slaves. Now this was a condition you were born in. You were born a slave. I don't care how high and, and mighty you think today you are today, you were born a slave. Amen. That's the condition you were in. As I, was, as I shared there at Sister Moselle's funeral the other day, and thank you all for those of you that could come. Thank you for being there and supporting the family. And, and we, we understand a lot could not come because of the time or so forth. But just let me tell you, friends, you know, we were all born, you know, a servant of sin. The greatest of all saints, the greatest of all saints can point back to a time where they were in sin's bondage. Amen. Where they were once a slave to sin. Enoch would walk with God and take a rapture. And we, we revere him as a very holy man that would walk with God and become the first astronaut. He was a was not. Amen. And he would change dimensions, right? Amen. So, you know, we, we think of him, but the, the Bible said he lived for 365 years. But, but only 300 of those years did he walk with God. So it shows us the greatest of all saints have their past. Amen. Now, that's only humanly speaking because God don't see your past. Amen. He only accounts what you are now, not what you used to be, and then what you were in his mind before the foundation of the world. And that's the way he sees you. Now, so, so again, we know that because Adam sold us into slavery, we needed redemption. It doesn't matter who you are. You say, well, I never, I never drank or I never smoked or I didn't run in the world. And You know, there, there's a lot of us that was raised up on a church pew and we were maybe uh, kept uh, with a pretty good life. And you say, well, I never did anything wrong. All have sinned. There was none of us that was not guilty. Amen. First of all, we were slaves simply because of our first birth. Sold already. Amen. Under the taskmaster, Satan. That's why Brother Branham said you take a child, you know, you don't even, you know, you, 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 uh, you don't have to do anything. He said he, he'll get right there and rock and roll to catch him as soon as it comes. Other lion will catch him just as soon. You know, all of these things, you know, it, it, he can be in the best environment there is. Amen. But sin has dominion over him. From the day he's born until the day he's born again. Aren't you glad for a new birth? Aren't you glad for a redeemer? Amen. But notice the penalty of sin is death. This is the penalty or the payment for sin. Gold won't do it. Silver wouldn't do it. 
All the precious metals of the world wouldn't do it. Only one thing, death. The blood is the only thing that would cleanse sin. Now, Adam and Eve's disobedience was sin against God. And, and of course, it broke their union and their fellowship with him. And they died spiritually. And they began immediately to die physically. And on the day they proved themselves unfaithful to just one command of God, there are several things that would happen. Man would become now subject to physical death. Man would then become subject to the knowledge and the power of sin. And from the day of his birth to the day of his death, he would, he would there know, that, know of that power of sin. Adam and Eve, would, would, they died spiritually that day. They began to die that we could no longer exercise God's authority because there before the fall, Adam could say to the wind, peace be still. He could speak to the mountains and rearrange them and, and dress the garden as he saw fit. He had control over the animal life. Now, how do we know that? Because in the millennium, when it's restored back to man again, the lion will lay down by the lamb. Amen. The, the wolf and the child will play together. There will be nothing to hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. So we can see what will be and we know what it was before sin entered the picture. Amen. But the day he died... The day sin entered, they could no longer exercise the spiritual authority they once operated with. And so, so the, the Bible tells us that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. Now, and in an attempt to, to cover their sin, when their, when their eyes were open to their sin and to try to cover their sin, and they, they sowed to themselves some fig leaves to try to make a covering for their sins. But of course, all the man-made coverings kept them naked before God. It did not clothe them or hide their sin. Amen? And, and so God, in his mercy, covered them with animal skins. Now think of that, animal skins. Now let's not cover this too quickly. Let's stop a minute and think. God's covering them with animal skin was the first evidence of the necessity of blood to cover sin. Therefore, the first death in our world was an animal's death, where an animal's blood would pay for man's sins. Innocent blood would pay for the guilt and the stain of sin. Oh, my God would take the skins of an animal to make coats of skin to cover their nakedness. Thus there's, thus there's sins. Now, this was all prefiguring and speaking of the real Redeemer that through his death that he would hide the, sh the shame of man with his coat. Amen. The robe of his righteousness. But, but this would only come by first giving the awful price of the giving of his own life. And this had been portrayed over and over and over and over in 
the Bible. This is not just one scene, but time on time and time again, God would reveal his plan of redemption through the Bible. As Brother Branham would say in Christ the Mystery, it's been hidden in every type of the Scripture. You know, we, we can go to Abraham, and God instructed um, Abraham to offer up Isaac as, as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And you say, well, why do that? Well, because all are guilty of death. And Abraham built an altar, laid the wood, bound uh, his son, and laid him upon the wood, lifted up his knife as though he would go to slay him. I want you to think of that. God spoke in that moment and stopped Abraham's hand. And then God provided a ram. Amen. Now, I want you to notice it was not Abraham who found the animal to offer. Amen. It was God provided a ram. Amen. And, and of course, you know, this symbolism all down to the scripture, even into the blowing of the trumpets and calling them to the atonement would be done by a ram's horn. Amen. It would, it would be a something to call them back to the atonement. And it would be by the calling of the kinsman redeemer. Now, as, a, as, as we know that animal's blood, it could not take away sin. And God, as, as being a just judge, he, would, he required full and, and perfect atonement. A sinless life would have to be sacrificed for a sinful life. Only a sinless human would, sacrifice, would, would satisfy. Animals don't sin. They live under the curse of sin. But man who was born in sin, with sin nature, he's the one who lives a sinful life. Therefore, an animal's blood could not atone or fully atone for man. It would, it would only be a substitutionary offering until the real Redeemer could come. And so it had to be a man's blood. It had to be the pure blood of a man who lived a sinless life. And only God could provide that man. And I want you to think about it. He did so. By taking on human flesh, what God promised in the garden when he said that I, when, when all seemed to be lost in that moment, and they were going out condemned from the garden, and as they were walking out, God had one more word to say. But you're not going out alone, but I will come with you. And I will come as a seed that will come through the woman. Hallelujah. And through that seed, we will bruise the head. We will avenge the death. We will do it by bruising the head of the serpent. Hallelujah. Now, notice though in that prophecy there were two bruisings. There was bruising of the seed and the bruising of the serpent. The bruising of the seed would be done in the heel because it was where he would touch the earth. Where he would, as he would walk, as God would become a man and walk upon the earth. So he said, the seed would be bruised in the heel. Where he touched the earth in his foot, 
he would be bruised where he became a man. But he said the serpent won't just get a, a heel bruise, but he with that heel will crush the head of the serpent. Hallelujah. I want you to realize, friend, yeah, that God is on your behalf. And he has promised even today that the devil's going to get a bruising. Hallelujah. And that you are going to receive a deliverance. That there is a deliverance that comes through the wounding of Christ at Calvary that will bruise the head of your accuser. What a Savior. What a promise. This was fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He'd take on a human body with flesh, with bone, and blood. He would set aside his divine nature. I want you to think of this. You can read this from Philippians 2 and 7 if you're taking notes. It talks about how that God would, would, would condescend, become a man, lay aside his deity and his godship to become a man. The Bible said he made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Notice here, he would be made as a man because God was required to become kinfolk. And now the, the, the Redeemer would come and offer his life on the cross. Now, now, friends, all these things are important parts, even of our message. Brother Brandon would preach that day on Calvary. Then he'd come right along, follow with the kinsman redeemer, and open right on up into of the 70 weeks and the calling of Israel back to the atonement, then go into the seals there and show where we have been called back to the atonement. All of this is our message. This message is not the message of Christ without Calvary. It's not the message of Christ without a kinsman redeemer. You do away with Christ and his redeeming work, you have done away with the message. And the message has lost its power and its virtue. Amen. That's why we must even today have an intercessor, an advocate, a kinsman. As long as you're here in these bodies, you need one. Now, the kinsman redeemer of man would have to become kinfolk to man. He couldn't do this as a spirit, and I will reiterate this as we go along. He would have to become flesh. I'd like you to look in Isaiah 59 and verse 16, and we'll refer to the scripture maybe twice or more in this service today. But I want you to see even the call in the Old Testament, the realize the need of Redeemer. And he saw that there was no man. What's the scene right here? A man. This is what he's looking for. Not, not a, an animal, a man, but a man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. And his arm, it, it represents power. So his power now would be extended to the earth. And he would come here and show his power upon the earth as an intercessor. 
and his arm would bring salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. And he put on his put righteousness on as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Remember, he's going out to slay the adversary. Amen. So he's got a breastplate on and it's his righteousness. If there's a helmet upon his head and it's salvation. And he puts on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Now, this is why he becomes kinsman redeemer. Amen. This is why he takes takes on humanity to bring vengeance on the devil for what he did to you. This is why every time when Jesus came, remember everywhere he went, he tormented devils. He came with a vengeance. Amen. He would take the curse of sin off of them. He'd take the curse of sickness off of them. Amen. He would heal. He would even rebuke death itself. What was he doing? He had on garments of vengeance. Hallelujah. Oh, brother, I've seen him with garments of vengeance right here in this church where devils were cast out, where people were delivered, amen, where sinners were saved, where the sick was healed, amen, because he put on garments of vengeance and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Hallelujah. Brother, I'll tell you, he, he got on the trail. This, this is his kin folks. This is his kin folks the devil did this to. Amen. So he got on zeal as a cloak. Amen. And according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will pay recompense. So that they that reverence and fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Remember, there would be an ensign. There would be a flag. There would be a, a, a sign that would be raised. There would be a super sign that would be given. Amen, that, that, that he would raise a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed. Oh, glory. Watch this now. Claim this for your loved one. And I know out of the mouth of my seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. Hallelujah. Redemption is all the way down to you, your children, to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is my covenant with you. I'm giving you a promise. Now we turn back. To Revelation chapter 5 and verse 2. And I want to just familiarize ourselves with this again. Let's just look at it one more time. Revelation 5 and verse 2. 
And I saw strong. This word strong is mighty. I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elder. Oh, listen, this is the centerpiece of the throne. This is the centerpiece of the elders. This is the centerpiece of the four living creatures, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Come on, somebody. Here is the centerpiece of the whole gospel. Amen. The whole Bible. It revolves around one central person, and that's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You said, Brother Tim, well, what about us then? Well, I'll tell you, because you were in him and a part of him. Somebody help me preach. Amen. Therefore, the entire Bible revolves around you. So even as Christ is the mystery of God revealed, you are the mystery of Christ revealed. That's why when we look in the scriptures, we ought to be able to see ourselves there. Stood a lamb, the centerpiece. Stood a lamb as it had been slain. Not just a lamb, but a slain lamb. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. What a wonderful scene. Let's talk about this. You know, after the Lord delivered Abraham's descendants from Egypt, he entered into a covenant with them. That contract was founded on a law, and that law would be a set of rules and regulations. These rules would govern morality. It would also um, govern um, uh, social transactions, for example, marriages and, and, and so on, and, and property transactions of God's people. So it wasn't just a law. Sometimes we think of the law being just Ten Commandments, but it, was, it, it would just expand out now from those Ten Commandments into d- different details of, of, um, of life, of Israeli life. It would, it would deal with marriage. It would deal with circumcision. It would deal with the covenant between God and his people. It would deal with, um, uh, you know, all kinds of things that had to do with moral issues. But also it would deal with property transactions. God wanted an orderly transaction that would, uh, and a transition that would be made that would pass the ownership of a land from one generation to the next generation. And the law would contain provisions that made the possession of land uh, really like a family trust. And this would keep the land from exchanging hands 
and would, would remain the possession of each tribe. So now think of it, God made a way that the land could not be sold f- permanently to a foreigner. No matter how rich he was, the land would have to come back to the original owners. God made it a way that no wealthy nation could come and buy them out. Are you with me now? And this would keep the land from exchanging hands, and, and it would also make it where the land would remain in, in the possession of each tribe. And when Israel entered the land, remember Joshua distributed the land and gave each tribe and their clans and their family its own a territory within the land. And the land was an inheritance, would be passed from father to the firstborn son. And of course, you know, then, you know, the Lord promised if the, if the people would just obey the commands of the covenant, they would keep this land and they would never again become captives or slaves of another nation like they had been down in Egypt. Now, just think about that. If you just keep the land, if you just keep my covenant, I'll keep you in this land and you'll never be a slave again. That comes right down to us today. If you just keep the word, if you just stay in Christ, amen, are you with me? You'll never become a slave to Satan again. Now, you know, we can rejoice in that, but let me give you something more to rejoice about that. Because it is not just that God left it entirely up to you, but through a new birth, you become him, and it's God in you keeping his own law, ensuring you will never, 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 never become Satan's slave again. What an awesome plan that God has for your life. That once he saves you, he'll never lose you. But he'll be the keeper of his own covenant within you. It'll be God in you doing his work and his pleasure. Now, we know the laws would be that for every 50th year, there would be a year of jubilee. All the land of that, uh, that was in Israel that had been sold or leased or lost through debt, it would have to be returned to the family of the original owner or, or his heir. And now, of course, this would keep the land from falling in the hands of the rich and the powerful. God had a provision for his family that no family could ever permanently lose their land through misfortune or through the foolishness of one individual's action. Oh, I'm so glad. Can't you see that where it was written in the covenant? God did that for Israel because he was looking back at Adam's fall. And he was letting us know it's not going to be forever. But I will bring an end to this slavery, to this suffering, to this bondage. I will bring full redemption with full payment, with a, with a, with a change of your body. Amen. Now, when someone fell into debt, the land could be sold to cover the debt. This was not really a sale, but it was a prorated lease until the Jubilee, 
when the lamb automatically reverted back to its rightful family owner. And I want you just to realize, you remember, the, the jubilee would come after every, every 50 years. And that would be Sabbaths of years. And we come down through seven church ages. Does anybody know what happens then? There comes a jubilee time. And we're here where, where that the lease or the hold that the devil has had upon the people for the ages. I mean, all of it gets canceled by the blowing of the jubilee trumpet, by the blowing of the ram's horn that signals an end to all of the slavery of the past, all the misfortunes of the past, all the sorrows of the past. Oh, when that jubilee trumpet sounds for you as an individual, you can throw down your hoe. Amen. You can lay your shovel down in the field. You don't have to go back to a pack of cigarettes or a pack of beer or just some adultery or some kind of spirit of the enemy that has plagued you for years and years and you've been under his slavery. But when that trumpet sounds, hallelujah, and that gospel trumpet sounded for every Christian. And on that day, you threw it down. You walked away. You don't have to look back. You don't belong to the devil no more. He has no control over you. You don't have to obey one of his commands. You don't have to listen to any of his antagonizing words. He has no right to you anymore. Oh, when a Christian realizes that enemy has no right to me. Amen. I'm free. Hallelujah. I'm free. And what's what's so wonderful about this freedom? It's a permanent freedom. I can never be sold back into sin again. Now, when the lambs were sold, the parties would meet at the city gate where all the business transitions were conducted. There would be an original, and, and, and they say there was also a copy of the title deed. And I could imagine, you know, just kind of like when you uh, buy a piece of property, there's an original that's put away in, 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 a, in a safekeeping by the government that records the deeds, the title deeds. But you also get a copy. And so the, there would be a title deed that would be given original in a copy containing a description of the land. And, and of course, when it was being sold, this would be presented, examined in the presence of the elders. And the elders would act as the notaries or the witness to the contract. And, and then the original was rolled into a scroll and it would be sealed in wax and signed on the outside by the elders who had acted as a witness or notary to the validity of the transaction. And the sealed and unsealed copies of the title deed were preserved until the land was repurchased or until it was returned at the Jubilee. Now, this system of redemption was not just limited to the land, but also people could be redeemed. 
Even an individual would fall into debt beyond his ability to repay. Well, then he might be sold into physical slavery to work off his debt. A relative, a near kinsman that would have the resources could redeem him, paying whatever that he owed. And, and of course, there was another circumstance in which uh, an individual might be redeemed if the landowner died and leaving no male heirs, the nearest relative could come take possession of the land. Whoever did this also incurred the obligation to marry the widow and adopt any of her children of the family of his deceased kinsman, and especially the female. He had to have a male heir to inherit. And the story of Boaz and Ruth it provides that example that's in the Bible. You know, it's a, a, a where that a relative, a near kinsman, would purchase the land of a dead relative and then yet gain a wife in, trans, in the transaction. And so even though that Boaz was not the closest of the relatives, he was the nearest one who was willing to acquire a family. Amen. Now, remember, it's not just buying back the earth. But it is, it is a people, a bride, that God is also acquiring in this work of kinsman redeemer. It's not just going to, oh, I'm going to be the king of the earth, and now, you know, I, I, this will all belong to me, and Satan, it, it'll all be paid. No, it's more than the land in, in buying the land, he is also buying a bride. Hallelujah. Now, if a relative was redeeming the land, he had to prove a couple of facts before it could proceed. First, he must prove that he was kinfolk. He had to be a near kinsman to the original owner. Not just anybody could buy. So the property, that way the property would remain in the family. Second, he had to demonstrate that he was, that he had the full purchase price for the land. That would make him the purchaser of our redeemer. And so they would, they would prove those facts, the deed and the money would change hands and the original of the title of the land became the property of the kinsman redeemer. He would then break the seals on the scroll and unroll it to confirm that the title description of his purchase. So there we're seeing, and I saw another mighty angel. Can you get the picture now? Amen. I saw another mighty angel that was exclaiming, shouting with a loud voice. Let me tell you, God sent a messenger in this age. Is somebody with me now? He was a mighty angel. He wasn't Christ. No, he was a prophet, a messenger. And he began to cry out, who is worthy? There's got to be somebody worthy to take the book and to loose the seals. You tell me, was Oral Roberts out there screaming that? Was that his message? Was that the message of Billy Graham? Was he screaming that out? 
Oh, no, was T.L. Osborne, was that his message? Was that the message of any prominent minister that you, you know of that's out there, television, evangelist, or whatever? It was none of their message. But there was a prophet in the land, and that became his message. Who is worthy to take the book? Amen, I'm calling for a kinsman. Now, the angel issues his challenge in the presence of those assembled in God's court. Only someone who could prove he was a kinsman to Adam would be eligible to claim this scroll of question title. Since Adam was the one who forfeited the the title deed to earth, Whoever claimed the deed would also have to prove that he could pay the redemption price. But not only that, but he was kin to Adam. Amen. So Adam's, and and not only would the land be acquired, but Adam's descendants who had been sold into spiritual slavery would also be included in this redemption. So the kinsman redeemer would have to be willing to acquire a bride along with the title to the earth. So he's not just getting the earth and going to have a millennial reign and bring it back to its original and restore it, but no, he's acquiring a bride. Amen. This is his whole plan to acquire the descendants of Adam. Amen. Who would be a bride for Christ? Now, the, the angel is proclaiming the question of, which is, this, which is as simple, the central question in that whole chapter. Who is worthy? Who has the worth? Who has the wealth? Who that can pay the price to the title of the earth? And who is it that is willing to acquire a bride who is attached to this title? Because you just can't buy the earth. You got to buy the woman that's attached to this title. Amen. And the worth of the kinsman would have to be shown in his sinless character and his willingness to pay the purchase price. Oh, brother, I don't know sometimes if we get the impact of the love that God has for us. When he would say, God, so love the world. How much did he love it? Oh, he bought, he took a nickel and a dime and said, it's worth that. He took the gold and silver and said, it's worth that. You know, what did he do? God so loved the world, he gave. His only begotten son. Amen. This is how much he loved. I mean, he, he loved. This was a kinsman who cared so much for fallen man. Amen. That he himself would create a body in which he would become a son. And there he would, from that life, that pure, clean, human life, born without sex, Born out from under the curse. Amen. That he would pay the price of redemption because of you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Amen. Just like amen, when Boaz got a look of Ruth, there was something about her that pleased him. Thou art a virtuous woman. There was something about her that he admired that he wanted. I'll take her. But in order to do that, I've got to buy her property. Amen. Now, the worth of the kinsman is found in his sinless character. The purchase price of the earth and Adam's descendants is not money. I'd like you to look with me to Leviticus 17 and verse 11. Because it is only the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now remember, you deny the body, the blood, or the word, you're dead the moment you do it. Amen. Brother Bradham said the reason why there's not miracles and signs and wonders among the church, he said they, deny, they will not come under the shed blood. He teaches us in God's chosen place of worship, there's only one place God will meet man, and that's under the shed blood. Over and over and over again, only one place. Amen. You take away the blood, you've done away with the meeting place. You've done away with the reconciliation. Amen. Now, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So only the blood would make an atonement, somebody help me, for the soul. Amen. Now, there would be other offerings of grain and whatever and harvest feast and so on like that. But only one offering that would, that would atone for the soul of man. And that was that another soul be shed. Another soul give its life. Are you with me now? Now, so again, it's the blood. Now, of course, the animal had no soul, so, you know, it could not make a perfect atonement. It would have to wait until a lamb would come that would have a soul. Now, none of Adam's descendants could qualify. None. This is why the search goes out and goes a long, long time. And, and John begins to weep because after an extensive search, there's nobody worthy. Nobody could pay the sins of man. I mean, everybody was in slavery. And a slave doesn't have the assets to pay his own self out. Much less, much less the sins of the whole world. Amen. But, but again, the, the kinsman redeemer, there's none of them that could qualify because they'd all been sold into slavery of sin. And, and so... They're in, a slave himself is in bondage, so he can't pay the price. A redeemer would have to be one who is kinfolk to Adam, but without sin. Because if he was in sin, he too is in slavery. Amen. Now, this was an impossibility. Moses couldn't do it. Elijah couldn't do it. Can we bring it on down? William Branham couldn't do it. There was nobody that was worthy to do it. Come on, somebody. And it could only be resolved if Adam's creator was willing to lay down his divine form 
In other words, the one on the throne would be willing to lay aside his robes as a king and become a common man like all the rest. This is the only way it could be. And since he was, he would have to come and be born in the lineage of Adam. Are you with me now? And since it passed through Abraham, it would need to pass through Abraham's lineage. And since he was divine, he would be without sin. But since he was human, somebody with me now? Since he was human, he would be Adam's kinman. So this required a monumental sacrifice by God. Amen. He would have to give up his place in heaven and come to earth and humble himself and become a man. And he would have to allow himself to be crucified for sins that he did not commit. Remember, a kinsman redeemer did make that debt. It was through the foolishness of his kinfolk. It was through the foolishness of Adam and Eve that when they got sold in there, it wasn't his foolishness. It wasn't his error. It wasn't his sin. But he had to be willing to take that sin as his own and pay the debt of it as if it was his own sin. He would have to humble himself, allow himself to be crucified for sins he didn't commit. In the ultimate act of love, he would shed his own blood to deliver us all from spiritual and physical death. Now, it had to be a kinsman. He had to be wealthy. He had to be wealthy enough to do it. He himself could not be in sin's bondage. He could not be a slave himself, a slave to sin. And he had to want to do it. He had to be willing. In fact, of the matter, it had to be his honor. Can I get it to you? It had to be his honor to do it. And he said, this is my obligation. This, this is my kinfolk. That sin that, and is a slave and, and then lost their property. It's my kinfolk and it's my honor to take their sins upon me and let me pay the debt they owed. Amen. God so loved you. Can I bring it down? A lot of times we say God so loved the world. Can I bring it down to you? God so loved you. He gave. Amen. No, he didn't give like, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give my son Timothy to die in your place. No, that's not how it was. God came himself as a son, as a creative offspring of his and stepped into that body. And there he would pay redemption price 
He must be a close kinfolk. Sharing this from Brother Branham now. Not a way off kinsman, a near kinsman. And how could God ever become a close kinsman when God himself was made flesh and dwelt among us? He became kinfolks to the human race. What would John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Somebody help me preach now. God became flesh. Now notice, he became kin, folks, not, not the angels, but human beings. He never come in the form of an angel, but he humiliated himself and stripped himself from all the heavenly glories and come down was made kinfolk with man in order to fulfill the law of kinsman redeemership. Oh, what precious love the father had for Adam's fallen race. Gave his only son to suffer and redeem us by his grace. There he is, a near kinsman. God made flesh and dwelt among us, becoming kinfolk to a human being, a kinsman. The next He must be financially able to do it. And who would be more financial? What kind of debt could be paid? When God owns all the universes there is and all the spaces all the time, everything else, he was financially able. Hallelujah. But when he was in the form of the spirit, he could not do it because he was spirit and man was human. And the spirit was made flesh and dwelt among us to become kinfolk to us in order to redeem us. I say, what a mighty God. What a Savior. And he said, there's a spread of welcome to you today when God, stripping himself, coming out of the ivory palaces, taking upon himself the form of sinful flesh to humiliate himself, to come down to be kinfolks to the poorest beggar there is in the world tonight, to become kinfolk to him. Jehovah himself made kinfolk to a beggar. The foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man don't have a place to lay his head. Born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth, yet the very Prince of Glory, the day spring on high, humiliating, bringing himself down, condescending, coming down to be made kinfolk with a sinner. Think of it, people. How can you reject such a matchless love? What was it when God became a sinner, taking our sins? Jesus became me that I might become him. The innocent lamb of God, he knew no sin. He became a sinner that I might be made an adopted son of God. Amen. There's a picture of true redemption. How he came down worthy, robbed himself, no home, no place to go, humiliated himself. Brought himself down in human and sinful flesh and took upon him not the nature of angels, not the nature of God, took on himself the nature of man that he might walk with man, eat with man, sleep with man, die for man. There you are, the whole plan from the beginning, the spotless Lamb of God. There he is, the bread of life here on earth. Now, Hebrews 2 would say it this way. And this is a paraphrase of it, but listen close. Since we're all his children, since all his children, rather, have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. 
He did this so he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the torment and dread of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels. Remember, there was angels that fell too. He didn't do it for them. But for all the sons and daughters of Abraham, this is why he had to be a man and a whole and to take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and his sisters and became a merciful and faithful king priest before God and the, as the one who removed our sins to make it us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Hallelujah. I say, what a high priest then. What a savior. Amen. That wasn't just standing there as a sympathizing God, but an empathizing savior. Amen. Where he became a man and suffered the temptation, you suffer. Amen. Oh, he would have to deal with all sorts of human emotions. Live as a human being. Amen. Listen, without a place to lay his head. Amen. Without a decent place to be born in. Amen. Not, not to come in and with the high and the mighty, but the lowest of the lowest. Amen. He did not come as the great and mighty one, the high and the holy one. He came as the meek and lowly to be born in a stable, in a manure pile. Amen. So that, so that he could intercede for the lowest of the lowest and the poorest of the poorest and the neediest of the neediest that this God can condescend down to your level wherever it is to be able to meet you this morning. I say, what a savior that is. This was dramatized in the great love story of the Bible when Ruth, a Moabitess, was redeemed by marriage to Boaz. This story is such an integral part of, of the story of redemption. You know, Solomon was inspired of God to name the two pillars of the temple, the one on the right, Jason, and the one on the left, Boaz. This is why I've got this picture of the temple there. Look here, coming into the place of atonement. Coming into the place where the blood would be shed. Coming into the place of the holiest of holies and the approach of God. Do you realize on each side, can you see, can you see the, the bronze, the brown looking uh, great pillars on each side of the entrance? making a way to the presence of God. And one of them would be, Solomon would name it Jason, and the other, he would name it Boaz. Can you imagine that? God would so anoint Solomon to put these pillars there that every person would have to come by and see this ensign, see this sign as they walk by it, and they looked toward the temple, they would see Jason's and Boaz. 
There are two pillars on each side of the door. And you'll find this in 1 Kings 7, 21, just for your Bible reference. And he set at the pillars on the porch of the temple and set at the right pillar, called it the name of Jason. And the other, set the other left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. You see, this was the entrance into redemption. And it would be an ensign among to, to all of the people, a, an ensign, that, a standard that is raised up that everybody would see there of the, of the two pillars named Jason and, and Boaz. Now, one on the right is named Jason. It, it, it means to be established, prepared, fixed for certain. So you see, again, this is very uh, common verb meaning of that means to bring something into being with the consequence that its existence is a certainty. In other words, with certainty, this is what Jason meant, with certainty, Boaz will come. Surely, a real redeemer will come one day. Surely, in all the offering of this lamb, with certainty, there's going to come the true lamb of God. Hallelujah. Now, so Boaz means the one who is in, with strength. In other words, he holds the power of redemption. He's the worthy one. He's the strong one. He's the wealthy one. He's the powerful one. One day, Amen. Into existence will come the worthy one. Oh my, who is that worthy one other than our Lord Jesus? This is prophesied through all the Bible. Amen. It would be told over and over and he would exemplify it. Of, of, even right down to, to Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. That right there in the middle of where that he should have been slain. Amen. God stops his hands. Somebody help me preach now. Amen. And what does he do? What does he do? He, he, he looks and he sees a ram held up by his horns in a thicket. Amen. And when Abraham looked over there at God's provided sacrifice, he named the place Jehovah-Jireh. Why? Because God had provided a sacrifice. Hallelujah. Are you with me now? Amen. The same thing. It was a prophet's prophecy. Actually, if you look upon the original meanings of it, it actually means on this mount it shall be seen. Because thousands of years later, here would come one packing the wood of his sacrifice across, up on the same mountain. Now not Isaac, but God's own son. Hallelujah. The true Lamb of God. Amen. And God would provide a sacrifice for all mankind. Not just for Isaac, but for all the seed of Abraham. And on this mount it shall be seen. 2,000 years later or thousands of years later, I'm not sure exactly the lapse of time between Abraham and Christ, but thousands of years later, here he comes, the lamb, the provided sacrifice. 
all through the Bible, it's shown. And let me tell you something. You're going to need to sacrifice until the day you leave here. Because all you have right now is the earnest of your redemption. Are you with me? Amen. You still need the completion of redemption for your body to be, to be changed as your soul was changed. Somebody with me? Now, so in the story of Ruth, again, God would hide a revelation of his redemption. And in this story, he would actually show that it was not just uh, the Jews that he would save, but in saving the Jews, he would also save the Gentiles. Amen. So you see that the, the, the Jews and Gentiles both would be connected in redemption. Now remember, God had told Abraham, don't you ever leave this land. Is that right? Amen. He told all of Israel, stay right here. But Naomi with her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons, Malan and, and Chilion, left because of a famine. Let me tell you, there is never a good excuse to leave God's provisions. There is never a good excuse to leave the promised land. Stay with the word. Whatever you got to do, stay with the word. I don't care what neighbors say, what friends say, whether there's a famine in the land. You stay with that word. Stay in the Holy Ghost. Stay in the promised land. Now, now listen, it wasn't God couldn't sustain because when, when Naomi comes back to the land, the near kinsman is a very wealthy man. And he had he'd been in the famine too, but he's still wealthy. God blessed him for staying in the land. Did you ever notice when Isaac was going to go down to Egypt and God spoke to him and said, stay in the land? There was a famine in the land. You know how bad that famine was? It was so bad that, uh, that Esau looked everywhere for food and couldn't find it and was so famished he sold his birthright. Read the Bible. Amen. It ends this chapter, begins this another famine in the land. But if you look at the whole, the, the whole story in its context, there was a famine in the land. Esau thought he was going to die. And he said, what good is this birthright if I'm going to die? So give me your pottage and I'll give you my birthright because I'm going to die without the food. You see, but Jacob said, I'll give you my last bite. Because I know if I get the birthright, then God's obligated to me. And somehow he'll keep me in the famine. And the famine waxed sore up on the earth. And guess what Isaac did? He went and planted seed. Come on, church. You know, a lot of times you go through a famine in your own spiritual walk. Amen. And when you do, sometimes you neglect to do what you need to do. Plant seed. Because if you don't plant a seed, you'll not get a harvest. Are you with me? And Isaac just went right on, stayed in the land. The famine is sore, and he planted anyway. Amen. Because faith had placed him in the land, and faith said, I'll provide the results. Amen. Let me tell you, friend, that's when you ought to plant another seed. When you see things look dry, it looks impossible. It don't look like nothing but go the right. 
seed of God's promise. Stay right there. Because if you don't sow, you're not going to reap. So what he did, he planted. And the Bible said he reaped of that seed a hundredfold. In a famine. Things are going against me, Brother Tim. Plant the seed. What are you going to get in a famine? A hundredfold. Come on, look at the promise. Amen. Now, so in the story of Ruth, there was this, this story of redemption, this revelation of redemption. She had left the land. And while they're away, you know, her husband died in the land. Naomi's husband and her sons died in the land of Moab. And here's Ruth, the Moabitess, who clung to her mother-in-law and resolved to leave her gods and find a home in the promised land. Now, like Naomi, let's bring it down to current day. Like Naomi, you know, the, the Jewish people, anytime they left their land, they're, they're like a fish without of water. They, they experienced rejection and persecution and hardship and death. And for the past 2,000 years, they have endured hatred and persecution that, uh, that has been their lot in every country they've been in. And, and as you know, the, the Holocaust that has happened in, in this uh, past century, that has been one of the most heinous of, of injustices that Israel or the Jews ever, ever suffered. It's one of the blackest chapters in human history that's happened in our time. Amen. And it's all because that God has a plan. And that is that Israel must get back to their promised land. Somebody with me? So just as Naomi returned to her land, so have the Jewish people returned to theirs. 1948, they become a nation. You know, uh, just been through the, the Holocaust. They're just like Naomi. So don't call me blessed. Call me, uh, call me sad and unhappy. And God's turned against me. And they were sad and they were lonely. They were poor. They were brokenhearted. And the only thing that left was a glimmer of hope. And this was with Ruth and Naomi. The only hope that Naomi had for restoration laid in Ruth. Understand what we're talking about now. Her only hope of restoration laid in Ruth. And that's with Israel. Her only hope of restoration was because of the Ruths in the world. The church... You realize it's the Christians within even America that were of the help and stood behind her to become a nation again. I mean, little did Naomi realize that it would be Gentiles. You know, this little woman, Ruth, that would help her get back to her homeland and bring about her redemption. It would be sometimes about the same time as she was going back. There was a great awakening as, as the Jews were being pressured Go back to your lands. Come on, church. There's another awakening taken. 
Amen. There's an angel of God meets a prophet of God, a Gentile, a Ruth, a Gentile people. Are you with me? Amen. Oh, and it begins to bring an awakening on the inside of her. Amen. There was a, it was something given a hope of divine healing. And there would come a time of restoration and peace and healing and all this of the healing revival. At the same time that Israel's becoming a nation, God's dealing with a Ruth. And that Ruth is saying, I'll leave my creeds, I'll leave my dogmas, I'll leave my pagan gods, I'll leave the Trinity behind. Your people, Israel, will be my people, and your God, Jehovah, will be my God. Hallelujah. Amen. And today, we identify with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Amen. And David and Solomon, because your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. When I preach about David, I'm preaching about my father. When I'm preaching about Abraham, I'm preaching about my father. Why? Because as a Gentile, I left my pagan ways behind, and I accepted the God of Israel, and their God is my God, and their people, my people. Now, there was an orphan there that said, oh, I'll just stay with my pagan gods and I'll just go back. But there was something within, within Ruth's heart that said, my soul cleaves to you. Amen. My soul cleaves to you, to this promised land of the word. And where you're getting it naturally, I'm going to get it spiritually. Amen. Your people is my people. Your God, my God. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Now, when they come in, it's just a barley season. Can you imagine what a time to return in the time of harvest? And where are we at? We're at the harvest. We're at the harvest time at the end of the world. And it's a time where Naomi is returning to her land, but with her comes a little Gentile clinging right behind her. Come on. Amen. One hears a trumpet. Come on back to your homeland of Israel. The other hears a trumpet. Come on back to the homeland of the Bible. But whatever gets to that homeland... Why are we coming to our homeland to see, to receive the Messiah? Why was Ruth going to that homeland to get the seed for the Messiah? There's something stirring down on the inside, a strange stirring. Barley season is bread season. They're not coming anywhere, they're coming to Bethlehem. And where is Bethlehem? It's going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And what's it called? The house. Beth means house. Amen. The house of God's bread. Hallelujah. We're returning to the house of God's bread to receive the Messiah. And it's revival time. 
Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we're in a time of revival? Let me tell you, this is the bride's revival. This is Israel's revival. This is your revival. Amen. My, my, my. Listen, here it is. And the church, Brother Branham said, uh, let me just quote it to you. He said, Naomi Ruth came in just at barley season. It was bread season, the season when fresh bread was being served. Not old stale manna of the past, but now fresh bread has been provided at harvest time. Oh, church, do you know where we're standing today? Do you understand what's going on among us? Do we see uh, the fresh bread from heaven that's being given? Do, do you know the other day I received a, a, an, an article and was uh, given notice to, to an article where that uh, across America, thousands upon thousands of Christian churches have been closed in the last decade. Do you know it's even worse over in Europe? They have turned those into Muslim mosques. And so the Christians are just dying out. And the Muslim, the wild seed is taken over. And did you know that they say that in, uh, in America today, every day, there are 100, 100 Christian churches that are closing every day. They're dying. They're dying. I was talking to my brother Jim the other day, and he said, you know, Brother Tim? So I just was over here at Coal Lake, little message church that started out with fervency, you know, believing in the coming of the Lord. So the church has died out, and they've sold it, and it's gone. Then I only left with old people, and now they're all dead and gone. And he said, we get over here. He said, I went over into Georgia where I used to pastor. Nice building, nice sanctuary. And the basement was filled with clutter where, where one of the members had just pat-ratted it full of garage sale items and so on and just made it a, a dump heap. And there hadn't been church there in years. And it's closed. Revival left. I wonder how many other message churches are in the same state of them others that are dying. Not a baptism, just a maintaining and, you know, us for a little more and no outreach, no, no, no burden for a lost soul, no nothing, just there. Just maintaining until, you know, it's just this little family group gathering. No revival. No fresh bread. Amen. Oh, oh, church, don't, don't you realize where we're at? You can't let little petty things come in your mind and, 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 and let some little spirit of death start working among us. We've got to stay on fire. We, gotta, we can never lose our fervency and our desire and our zeal. Amen. We, we must have the same zeal that we started off with. And more. In fact, of the matter is, I'd like to say I'm more zealous. 
I'm not less zealous for this. I'm more zealous. Amen. I know, I know this word now more than I ever knew it. And the more I know of it, the more zealous it makes. Amen. I want to see another soul saved. I want to see God move. I want to see there's healing and there's miracles and there's signs and there's wonders in the church. I want the spirit to move in the songs just like it's been doing. I don't care if we're criticized and mocked. Let them die, but let us live. I... I'm not immune to criticism and I'm not afraid of criticism. I've been criticized from the time I first started preaching till now and I'm not afraid of none of it. Amen. In fact, of the matter, it's just the opposition of hell and I'll square my shoulder back and I'll aim right toward the promised land. God will have a bride and she will be without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. And God will produce one an evening light at the evening time because it's the hour of the harvest. Glory to God. Fresh bread being served. Amen. I ain't talking about going out there and collecting some wild gourd and feeding the people. That's people that's in famine. We're not in famine. We don't need the wild gourds that are coming up with their own ideas and doctrines and saying grace is over and the lamb ain't on the mercy seat and all the other ideas that they got floating today. We don't need a wild gourd mixing this. But I'll tell you, brothers, what to do for your, your poison pot. Amen. Take the meal of Christ that's been ground by the Holy Ghost and pour in a handful of meal and God will heal. Amen. When you start getting Christ back in the midst. Yes. Hallelujah. Now, bread from heaven. Honey crusted bread. Ah, amen. Church in the last day brought down to the barley season. Harvest time. Now these women would type redemption where God would redeem both Jew and Gentile. First of all, now let me tell you what her condition was. You see, Ruth was born of Moab, of the lineage of Moab. That was the illegitimate son of Lot. And they were cursed people. Now, historically speaking, the nation of Moab as well as Ammon sprang from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters. He got him drunk one night and, and, and laid with him, and he didn't know what he was doing. He both got pregnant, gave birth to sons. One was Moab and the other Ammon. They did it because they foolishly thought there was no more men in the land after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Both of these nations were enemies of Israel in ancient times, and even today they're enemies of Israel. Present-day Moab is the modern state of, of Jordan. Ammon is the is comprised of present-day Palestinians. 
and, and northern Jordanians. And they were under God's curse. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Amen. Now, he goes on to tell why, and he said it's because they didn't meet them with with bread and water when they when Israel was coming down to the land and you know they hired um, Balak or Balaam rather the son of Balaam the son of Peor to come and curse them and because of that God said they'll not enter into the congregation of the Lord because I'll curse them that curses you and I'll bless them that blesses you and I want you to look now here comes this woman and I think Ruth here in this picture kind of personifies us all. A rejected woman. A despised woman. A woman, you know, of the, of the wrong lineage, of the wrong kind. A despised people. Have you ever felt that way? Unworthy. Unwanted. Cursed. Listen, the only way to get out from under her curse was to cling to Naomi and the God of Abraham. And Ruth, though she was disqualified by the law, now think of this, disqualified by the law, she entered by faith and through grace, and she's listed, oh my, she got a place in the genealogy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And through her would come, her and Boaz would come Obed, and Obed would beget Jesse, and Jesse would beget David, the great king, and finally come Jesus Christ, the Messiah, through a despised woman. Brother, that whole story is a, an awesome picture of Jesus redeeming his bride. It's comprised mostly of Gentiles under God's curse, cut off from God without a hope from entering the promised land, cursed without a hope of redemption. Let me just read you from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. That at the time, at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. Listen, friends. He wasn't just willing. Boaz wasn't just willing to be Naomi's kinfolk, but he was willing to be Ruth's kinfolk and claim her in redemption. Now, it was Naomi the Jew who was redeemed. The next of kin was Boaz. But because of the Leverite custom that the nearest kin was to raise up children of the deceased, then Ruth was included. And in order to buy 
the land of Naomi and redeem it, he would have to take the Gentile Ruth for a bride. Now, that was Jesus. And Boaz typing Christ, when he redeemed Israel, he got a Gentile bride. Let's just look here in, in Ruth uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. And I'm about to run out of time, and you're just about getting hungry. So let's just let's try to find a, a real quick way here to bring this down. And Naomi had a kinsman. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. A mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. His name was strength and power. And he was wealthy. Hallelujah. Amen. He could afford to do it. Amen. He had the power of redemption in his hand. Is somebody with me? And his blood didn't come from a sex act. It had come from being virgin born. And he wasn't born under the curse of sin. He was sinless. So he was wealthy. He was the only man worthy. The only man who could do it. Oh, my, no wonder Booth Cliburn would strike those words down from his glory. Ever living story, my God and Savior King. And Jesus was his name. Born in a manger. Amen to his own, a stranger. A man of sorrow or grief and agony. It would be God coming down to humanity. I think of Brother Branham talking about it in the church age book. We don't have time to go into all of the description of it. God born as a man in a stable over a manure pile. God coming down to the lowest of the lowest in order to redeem you to be in his bride. He never become, let me just, let me just say it in, in Brother Branham's words. He never become kinfolks altogether to the rich, to the mighty, but he was born in a stable wrapped in swaddling cloth, not to the adult, but to the child. In other words, he came as a child. He was God over all creation. He chose to do it. He did not become as a fully matured man. He come, he came that he might suffer the feelings of little babies. He came that he might go through the teenage temptations that he might go through the toils and snares of the devil as a man and make a way for people of all ages, of all ages and all class, the poor, the rich, the all. He became poor that through his poverty we might become rich and heirs with him in the kingdom. A sign would be given, crossing himself, making himself something different than what he was, a super sign crying as a baby, playing as a boy, toiling as a man, but it was God living in all stages of life like we do. Say, I suffer from headaches, Brother Tim, so did he. Say, my back hurt so bad this morning, my neck, he was wounded for your transgressions. 
Say, well, I, I suffer with my feet and nails were put through it. Such pain in his feet. I suffer in my, you cannot suffer in your body except he can empathize with you and say, my child, I know how you feel so that when you approach him as a priest, you're not approaching a strange and indifferent God who don't know how you feel, but you're approaching him through the man, Christ Jesus, who can say, I know how you feel. You say, oh, but oh, my heart is broken. You know, my, my, my loved one, my, my spouse has left me. He would look over Jerusalem and weep and say, oh, Jerusalem, Jeru, Jeru, why, why have you done this? He was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief. And yet we knew him not. He was despised, rejected of men, and we hid, as it were, our face from him. Why did he do it? The Bible said he did it in order to get a seed. You read about the book of Isaiah 54, a man said, he shall see his seed. By doing this, this is how he's going to get his seed, his, his offspring. And Boaz now would, would take of his wealth and purchase a despised woman. What? To get the seed that would bring forth the king. Oh, what an act. And when he sees her, he gives some instructions to her. And he says in Ruth 2 and 8, he said, listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field. Nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have not I commanded the young men not to touch you? Have not I commanded them not to rebuke you or make you blush? Amen. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He was treating her like kinfolk. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Oh, my. Here he was providing for her. Providing for her. Don't go clean in another field. Amen. Don't, don't go out here, as Brother Brandon said, you know, as he would talk about it, don't go over here in all these other doctrines. Come on, church. Come on, message believers around the world. Don't glean in other fields. Amen. Don't go out there and try to bring in some, some new doctrine. Stay in Boaz field. Don't go out in strange doctrines and ideas of man and build kingdoms of your own. Amen. Listen, the bride is not to produce little Tim Pruitts or little Donnie Reagans or little Ed Biscoll. The bride is to produce the bridegroom, Christ. Amen. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Amen. Oh, my. Now, 
here she goes. Here he goes, and then he goes and instructs his workers. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, now she's gleaning. She's coming behind you. But I want her so well provided for. Because until she gets the new heavens and the new earth, before she gets rewarded, before she goes into the complete marriage and realizing of everything that is owned, because there's going to be one day she won't have to glean. Going to be one day she don't have to depend on handfuls. But every once in a while, to keep her from getting discouraged, I want you to drop her a handful on purpose. I want, I want to drop something to them on purpose. You know, on purpose. I'm going to go by evening like tabernacle. Right here this first week in December, I'm going to pass by this church and I on purpose. I'm purposely going to come here because what I'm going to do is drop some handfuls to them people on purpose. I'm going to let them hear a good message that makes them realize that I'm their redeemer. I'm going to let them hear a word that says I'm the Lord God that heals all thy diseases. I'm going to drop a handful to those that are, per, uh, are distressed and, and, and are discouraged and say, here I am. I am your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Do some kind of healing among them. Hallelujah. Amen. Some kind of, some kind of sign or wonder. Just let them know that Boaz cares and to stay in this field because in this field there's handfuls that's going to be given on purpose until you get the full inheritance. Oh, it ain't going to run out either. This God makes that provision for that bride and it ain't going to run out. As Brother Timothy preached, he'll do exceeding abundantly above that which you're able to seek or ask. Do something. I'm quoting from Brother Bradham. The Lord do something that he used to do. Amen. Something that we know he does. The Lord of the harvest. He's the only one that can drop handfuls. I command. Oh, listen, what's commanded? What's commanded for this service this morning and for the service tonight and even on Wednesday night? Amen. When you come and fail to glean, he's still doing it, dropping out handfuls. Is somebody with me? I command the angels to go down that meeting this morning. I want them to do a certain, certain thing. I commanded them. He commands the angels to drop down handfuls. Amen. Portions of his spirit. The anointing to come down. Amen. It'll come in the songs. It'll come in, it'll come in the specials. It'll come in the preaching of the word. It'll come as you worship it. You just get another handful. Amazing grace. Oh, God, you hadn't forgot us. You hadn't left us here alone. You're here. Now, Ruth had four different stages in her, in her work. She had, she had to first decide to leave Moab. And every Christian has to first decide to leave sin. The pagan God's behind, right? Amen. Then, then she come into, into the land, and now she's working. She's cleaning. She's working. 
But one way, you know, here she comes to another stage, and it comes time for her redemption. And said, you know, now Naomi instructs him, said, now what, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to where he is threshing the wheat. He is separating the chaff from the grain. And where that's happening, I want you to gather there, and I want you to, to, to watch the man, and I want you to mark the place that he's laying down. Because he's going to sleep there at the harvest and you mark the place where that he's laying down. And then you slip up there and you lay yourself at his feet. And Brother Branham brings us right down to us. He said, first you got to make a decision. Then you're working through your stages of, of sanctification and on and on. But there comes a day you've got to come completely down to Calvary and see the place where he's laying. And you got to lay yourself there at Calvary with him. Hallelujah. And then you say to him, cover me. Cover me with your garment, which means redeem me. Perform the work of kinsmen upon me. Hallelujah. So then he gives her measures that will hold her until the time he fulfills it. Amen? Now, Brother Branham tells us, and he brings this part down, and he, and he says, he brings it to the church. He said, now the church has come down through justification. That was decision. Sanctification, which was Wesley's message, he said that was works, working. And he said the third stage, he said, started out with the Pentecost, but ends up with us. This is what he said. Amen. It started out there at the beginning of Pentecost. They were all worked up. They had to do this, and they shook them and everything. But now what is the church doing? The true church is just resting. Hallelujah. Resting. He said, that's the Holy Ghost. And he said, that's what we've received is, is the rest. What is the rest for? What does it mean? It means we, we rest while he fulfills his duty. Amen. Where he pays complete price of redemption. Now, so we rest in the Holy Ghost. That's all you got to do. Ruth, he's going to see to the business. Ruth, the Bible said, you rest. For Naomi said to him, you rest, Ruth, because the man will not rest. Until he fulfills this work of redemption. And I'll tell you, friends, that's it. We can rest. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, brother, this is a time of resting in the Holy Ghost. Resting in the blessed assurance. Resting in the promise. Amen. While he's working. Performing the works of redemption. Amen. Finishing it all. He said, because the last stage, we're going to be rewarded and immortal life and immortal fullness. Our bodies will be redeemed. Everything will be redeemed. And we're just waiting for him to return back from the gate. 
Hallelujah. That's what we're, what we're waiting on this morning. We're resting. He's going to do it. And he's working, finishing the work. Amen. Now, I want you to see this. If you, but, there, but there's a hitch. So we got a little problem we got to work out. Ruth chapter 3, verse two, 12. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Now, but tarry this morning, or this night, it shall be in the morning. If he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman, well, let him do his the kinsman part. But if he will not do a, a part of the kinsman to thee, then I will do the, the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. Chapter 4, verse 3. Here he meets the kinsman. And he said to the kinsman, Naomi has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise these, saying, buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I will know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. But then Boaz has got a little news for him. You know, Satan wants the earth. Amen. And he claims it's already mine. Because as Brother Brandon preached, Satan was that nearer kinsman. Because of you being born in this flesh. Amen. You were born of Satan's design in a mortal body, sold under sin, and now Satan is a nearer kinsman, and he says, okay, now you redeem it. Oh, he says, you know, I, I want the land, I want the earth, I want to be the king, I, I want all this for my position, okay? Well, you buy it, but what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou almost buy, almost must buy also of Ruth the Moabitess, the woman of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead for, upon this inheritance. And the kinsman says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own inheritance. Amen. Come on now. Now here we are enslaved for the devil. And the devil cannot die for another devil. He's guilty himself. And so he says, if I pay the price of redemption, which is blood. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. If I pay the price, then I'll mar my inheritance because I'll die and I can't raise from the dead. But hallelujah, amen, Boaz says, but I can buy it because it will not mar my inheritance. It will give me an inheritance. Hallelujah. And there is what Christ did. He paid the price and the devil tried to steal it from us, but he said, no, I want Ruth because in getting that Gentile bride, I'll buy and all the land. Hallelujah. Glory to God, what a kinsman that he is. What a kinsman that he is. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed.
come, redeemed by his infinite mercy, his child, what? And forever, and forever, and forever, I am. I say what a savior this morning. To redeem the Jew, I get a Gentile. And when I call her back, Naomi back to her promised land, I'm calling Ruth back to an inheritance undefiled. Amen. I'm calling her to a new body. Amen. A change in a moment and a twinkle of an eye to receive the Messiah. What an hour we're living in. That call comes out for a man who is worthy and a lamb steps forth. Why? Because God became a man, a kinsman, to do what? Purchase with his own blood. No wonder he would say in Revelation 5 and 6, let the musicians come now. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. It is the lamb and the lamb's work. It only only endures for the Gentiles seven church ages. That's what it encompasses. There's no salvation for the Gentiles after the ages are over. Redemption is now. Redemption is now. When the seventh age ends, the bride goes up. Aren't you glad to be living here in the end time? It's the harvest season where there's plenty of bread and a redeemer steps forth. Blowing the ram's horn. Saying, come back to the promised land to the original atonement of blood. What a wonderful God. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Can you stand together with me? Verse 9 of Revelation chapter 5. I want you to read this together with me. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Let's love him this morning from the depths of our hearts now. Could you turn down such matchless love? Could you turn down one who took a despised person, who loved you, who loved you when you were unlovable? We love him, the Bible said, because he first loved us. Aren't you glad for salvation? Aren't you glad for our kinsman? He's my Redeemer. And I know my Redeemer lives. He went down to become the downtrodden of the earth to lift you up. 
He come to every sinner to lift them up out of sin and make a son out of them. Come to take every sick and weary one and make them healed by the glory of God. Oh, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it the other day. Driving along, my wife and I, I was praying. Tears were coming down my cheek. I was thanking him. Thanking him for being our kinsman. I said, oh God, it was you that could take a little, my little wife who had her brain bleed, big as a saucer, didn't look hopeful. In two days, bring her out of the hospital. We'd return for another MRI. And they would say, there is nothing significant of any kind of blood or damage in this brain. An eye that couldn't see vision that was lost. I sent the MRIs along with my wife to visit the specialist, the eye exam. Because we were advised to take her. That day when the Holy Spirit, my kinsman, came through the room. Swept over her, removed the brain bleed. Started removing the effects, the blood pressure problems. Started moving, swept right over there to the little child that couldn't walk. He raises up for the first time he ever takes a step, 18 months old. Rise up by himself out of the middle of the floor and run all over the house. My wife goes, as her vision returns, and she goes to the doctor. He looks at the MRI. He looks at her eye. He looks at the MRI. He looks in the eye. And he says, marvelous, wonderful. Girl, you are a miracle. Why is that? Because of our kinsmen. When I stood in Germany, my wife, being tormented and with a menopausal nervous condition, said, well, there ain't no hope for nothing like that. That's just a natural deal. And listen, the devil will come and try to attach itself to something. It'll drive you crazy. Satan had come and used that to torment her, cause her blood pressure to rise. I was in the meeting, dealing with ministers, two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes, church, you don't know the battles we get in. But I was in battle. My wife knew it. But with that condition, depressed, hurting, worried, stressed, she was sobbing and crying because I would, hadn't come in and just nervous and upset, just tormented. Next day we stand in, in the service that evening. Brother Ron Spencer is preaching. And he says, today the Lord has shown me he's going to finish what he started. Said, Sister Karen, your healing is today. 
And he pulls her out of the audience and prays for her. We didn't need another hormone pill. We ain't had another fit. It's all gone. You know why? Because the kinsman came by dropping a handful on purpose. Hallelujah. Amen. I just watched the other day the atmosphere was moving in this place when I was preaching. God's doing extraordinary things. See it come down to the end of the service. Sister Lana jumped up and rejoiced in victory, shouting and dancing all around this building. Goes back to the doctor the next day, and the cancer is totally gone. dropped a handful on purpose oh yeah amen I remember when little Jude come here Jude come up here with Papa I remember little Jude he was a baby doctors told us that he had one kidney that was not operating and the other had some type of reflux and was swelling. How old are you? Nine years old. Does this boy look like he's got a kidney problem? One day God dropped a handful on purpose. And my daughter's sitting in the, in the nursery holding him as a baby. This child wouldn't wet his diaper at night. Would wake up dry. His kidneys wasn't functioning. And the Holy Spirit dropped in her heart, take him up and be prayed for. And she ran up with her baby. And that day I laid my hands on this child and rebuked that infirmity in the name of Jesus Christ. The next morning, he wakes up with a wet diaper. He's been healed ever since. Took him back to the, to the specialist, and they couldn't. They said, you know what? I think we must have made a mistake. I mean, you know, this child's perfectly normal. And this report says that we, we must have made a mistake. There was no mistake. The kinsman came by. He's my redeemer. He's my healer. He's that satisfying portion. Come here, Taryn. <laughs> oh, look at this bright spot. <laughs> A boy in dope, in alcohol, in every kind of sin, trashed his life, wrecked and ruined. A prodigal. But one day in this church he came. Come one service sat back there. Next service 
come up to the altar. I wasn't about to turn him loose till he got his hand full that God had on purpose for him. Has your life been changed, Brother Jaron? Are you different now? Amen. You see him on this front row service after service. He's got a handful for you this morning. He's a God rich in mercy. He's a kinsman redeemer. Oh! Now Jared can sing, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. If anybody asks me, guess who I am? I can tell them I'm the redeemed. I'm the redeemed. Hallelujah. And you know what he's the sign of? He's the sign that your child is coming. Just like him. Hallelujah. Because the kinsman comes by our way. A God who cares. A God who understands. He wanted more than the world. He wanted you. Amen. Come here, Hannah. Here's another Ruth. This is my cousin. I'm a near kinsman. I can put my arm around her this morning. She's my cousin's daughter, my cousin's granddaughter. She's my kinfolk. But more than that, he became kinfolk to Hannah. Hannah was lost. Hannah didn't know Jesus. Hannah was pulled out into the world and every kind of sin. The devil did everything he could to make her worthless. But God, rich in mercy, he had a plan for this little Gentile Ruth. So I'm not just redeeming an earth, I'm redeeming Hannah. I'm not just sending a message in the end time for just, just for a reason to do it. I'm doing it because of Hannah. And he changed your life. And you're not the same. Is that right? Ain't that your, your testimony today? I mean, you can say, I was that one, downtrodden, worthless, no good, but God rich in mercy. That's me and you read a scripture together. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's read this. Just a moment. And you hath he made alive <laughs> who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Was that you, Hannah? That was me too. Amen. Among whom we all had our conversation. That means the way we lived in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That was our condition. But oh, here comes another equation in the matter. 
here's something going to balance it all out. But, aren't you glad for that little three-letter word there? Amen. That comes right there in the history of your life. But God. But God. What? Who is what? Rich. <laughs> oh, they say he lost his mercy. He didn't. Here's his mercy right here. Amen. Mercy said no. Mercy said I'm not letting her go. Mercy said the world ain't getting her. Mercy said I'm bringing her home. Mercy reached out. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Oh, Hannah, he loved you so much. Wherein he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins and hath, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved, delivered, delivered. That delivers mercy, great, and grace was free. Pardon was multiplied. That's why Brother Branham could preach on the kinsman redeemer and preach the sermon, pardoned. A God rich in mercy. In a day where men who want to play God wants to take mercy away, mercy has been extended. I'm glad for his mercy. It makes a day of thanksgiving. Amen. I just can look out over this congregation, one after another, after another, his mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you raise your hands to him just a moment, just worship him. Say, Lord, thank you for being a God rich in mercy. Thank you for a God who loved us when we were dead in sins and trespasses. Thank you for being a kinsman to us. Thank you for taking and making even the vilest sinner clean. Thank you for redemption, Lord. Thank you for that handful. Lord, I remember when you on purpose dropped a handful to Hannah here. On purpose dropped a handful to this and that and the other. Because you're God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for being our kinsman. Now we can approach your throne of grace. We can approach it for those of us that are sick and weary. For our sister Kathy with back trouble. For our sister Mary Catherine with, with a bone issue and muscle spasm and pain. For our, our brothers that are suffering with cancer. You're the God rich in mercy. For those that are suffering today, whatever it is, for those souls that are so lost and look unsavable. Today, the kinsman passes by with mercy. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.